When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why should CBUS members have insurance through CBUS Super? Maybe it's because we understand the risks of working in our industries. Maybe it's because we offer cover that is tailored to protect building and construction workers, even those working at heights. Or maybe it's all of these reasons. So why not consider CBUS Super? CBUS for all of us. To consider if CBUS is right for you, visit cbussuper.com.au for a copy of the PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. I had to fail, had to fall just for what I did. This is the final word, the cricket podcast that some people say is their favourite. It's the favourite cricket podcast of those people. It's with Jeff Lemon. It's with Adam Collins. Ah, oh, so much news from around the world this week. Is Taylor Valemic out of the Women's T20 World Cup? She's in a moon boot. Who knows? Is James Pattinson in trouble? He's got a back complaint again. Who knows? But the most important piece of medically related cricket-related news of the last week and possibly month and possibly year and maybe decade is Winifred May Collins. She's here. She's arrived. Uh, the progeny of Rachel and Adam uh, has emerged into the world unscathed and uh, I'm looking at a very exhausted and happy-looking Adam Collins on the screen in front of me uh, with, with a beaming smile on his little face. Hi Jeff. Yes, uh, I'm. Look, it's been the best four days of my life, uh, without a doubt, without caveat. Uh, the first couple of those were a little bit rugged. We were up in the in the sick bay in the neonatal intensive care uh, unit, which was an interesting place to start uh, young Winnie's life. But needless to say, it was uh, all precautionary, and she was home with us by Sunday night. Um, she was seven pounds and three ounces. Uh, in the old money. She was 51 centimetres long in the new. Uh, she arrved after Rach uh, laboured for 30 hours. Um, it was a Herculean thing. I've just in complete awe of uh, my partner. Uh, and, uh, yeah, when she uh, finally did peek her head out, uh, it was, and I was able to tell uh, Rach that it was Winnie and not a boy. We thought it was going to be a boy, but we um, secretly really wanted it to be a girl. I wanted it to be a girl. Dad's so bad, and I'm so glad that now I am exactly that. Uh, and, yeah, as I say, once, we, once we've got home, gotten home, rather, it's been, um, yeah, as, as you'd expect, it's been a pretty long couple of days, but, but she's a very uh, cool, chilled-out customer. Um, as I say, after two days in the sick bay, um, I think she's just relaxed about being uh, in our arms at the moment, just as I like it. And uh, I'm sure she'll um, um, be at the cricket soon enough. We've got a day in the calendar already, actually, before uh, Winnie was born, where we've uh, mm. a, a few friends of the show. Actually, we're, we're looking at April the 12th. Uh, which is the start of the county championship season. We, we were saying a, a couple of weeks ago with uh, dear friends of the show, Ellie Eldroyd and, and Izzy Westbury, that it would be a lovely thing.
waiting to uh, to take a bunch of us to the cricket uh, at, at Lords with women MCC members, which which uh, you know there's not a lot of them given they only were able to take out membership in, in 1999, and the waiting list is fairly substantial. But both women MCC <laughs> members next you'll be telling me they can drive. <laughs> well, well, that that certainly was the attitude uh, back in the um, 20th century. I think as Mike Selby mm. said, the MCC were a very progressive organisation in the 19th century and, and the 21st century. It's just they missed the 20th. Um, mm. But uh, in any case... It's uh, a big um, century, the 20th. A lot a yeah, lot went on a, in the 20th century. A lot went on. A lot went on and the MCC were, were, were sort of in neutral on, on these matters then. But no, they're, they're mm. a most progressive organisation these days. But we're going to go along. Uh, as guests of women members, and what better day to take Winnie to her first day of cricket uh, at, at Lords? And she'll be, yeah, as I, I think I mentioned on our a quick non-episode uh, the other day that she's now got a cricket jumper. It's in Middlesex colours. It's got mm-hmm. her initials on the uh, on on the uh, on the chest there, WMC. So uh, that'll be her first visit, and I'm sure she'll. Um, love it, or, or maybe she'll hate it, and that'll be fine as well. That's the beauty of, I think, uh, having a, a new baby. You don't really care about whether they go on to like the same things that you like. You just want them to be happy and healthy mm. and, and lead a, a virtuous existence, and I'm sure she will. Well, and, and it's very Australian that, you know, you went with the name Winnie, not the name Lucy, because we all know that Australians <laughs> like winning. Um, but that's particularly the attitude in England towards Australians, more than anything yep. else, don't they? Um, look, do you, do, you, do you feel like... A new person? Are you? Have, yeah. have you been baptised and emerged from the rivers um, with your old self washed away and, and the future stretching, unspooling ahead of you like a country road? Yeah, there, there is a bit of that. Uh, it's a very earnest start to the chat today, isn't it? It's very affecting. It's, uh, it's very affecting. I, I mean, I knew it was going to be, and I knew I was going to love it, lo- love the baby, whatever sex, whatever look, whatever. whatever. I knew I was going to love the baby. There was never any doubt about that, but it is overwhelming. Uh, in the best possible way like I just can't sort of take my eyes off her for more than a couple of minutes like I'm already feeling pangs mm. the fact that she's in the other room and I'm in here recording makes me feel um, somewhat uh, like Bring I'm missing out on, on some moment <laughs> yeah, well, get no, her I, involved I don't know whether, don't know whether her mum will approve of that uh, uh, <laughs> but, but the uh, yeah no it is and, and if you thought I was a menace um, con- continually talking about gender equity when it comes to cricket before and if you thought I was a menace always carrying on about well funded socialised medicine and public health um, mm-hmm. well you, if you've heard nothing yet cause you're not going to hear me stop talking about both of those things um, uh, even more than I have uh, through the rest of my life so yeah it, it's um, very powerful uh, very beautiful thing uh, I couldn't be prouder um, to, to be a girl dad like I say and couldn't be prouder of my partner who was just Herculean like I say off the top there uh, she was just unbelievable the, the, the dedication she showed uh, through that labour process not sort of giving up if you like and that sounds like a weird thing to say but at different intervals she was 30 hours it was full on but she's like no no I'm going to fucking do this and she did it and she just made it happen somehow with reserves that she almost didn't deserve to have given she hadn't slept for two days by that point uh, given the yeah. way that the, 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 the sequence played out it was two full nights of no sleep and she still found the energy to get the job done so um, yeah love loved them both very much and would you say the celebration at the end of that process was a labour party <laughs> Well, it was it was it was it was something like that. I've got a little T-shirt for her, which uh, which which uh, which uh, which says uh, "I'm a labour gain." Which uh, which uh, I'll, when she's a little bit bigger, I'll be able to put her into that. She's already a member of she's already a member of the, the MCC waiting list uh, at Lords. Mm. The MCC waiting list 
at, uh, at Melbourne. Well, I believe the Lord's one's being done. Already at, at the MCG, and she's a member of the Hawthorne Football Club, uh, and uh, and I'm sure she'll end up being a member of uh, a range of other sporting organisations, which I'll um, sort of uh, shoehorn her into. And as I say, whether she ends up liking sport or not, um, <laughs> it doesn't really matter that much, but she'll have a lot of memberships in any case. Yeah, she'll end up having uh, an intimate knowledge of the career of Rob Guest and <laughs> you know, various other... Okay, so I've got a couple of questions for you on this that, that yeah. I need to sort out. You said, you, know, you said you'd already done the Hawthorne membership. You also said you would have loved the baby no matter what. What if she came out wearing like a Geelong jumper? On yeah. you know, on exit, would that have been a problem? Well, well, she. I think the way her hair came out, so full head of brown hair, um, in the full mullet. So really, she's mm. tapping into her Hawthorne eighties uh, roots. Yep. Uh, whether it's uh, uh, Jason Dunstall or, or Gary Ayres or, or uh, Robert Domenico and other players mm-hmm. who I grew up idolising, who had a similar kind of haircut, she's already all over that. Yep. So I don't think there's any really doubt, real doubt about her, her brown and gold loyalty. Wow, okay. And it's just amazing that being around those mullets could actually affect human semen um, to, to the point that it's visible in the results. That such is the radioactive power of those hairstyles. Incredible. Um, the other question I had was 30 hours. I don't think I've yeah. ever done anything for 30 hours. Like yeah. maybe drink, but like... How do you how do you stay awake that long? Let alone well, she yeah. This is the thing, right? So um, we planned for a range of things, and people through the antenatal courses and so forth. You're told to um, make a plan, and we made a very detailed plan. We read a lot of books and sort of did the, did the yards. You know what I mean? Like we, we had a very yep. strong idea of what what we what we wanted and what what mm-hmm. Rachel wanted, um, and to an extent, that's how things were playing out. But then she, yep. uh, then then uh, yeah. As I say, uh, it, it gets to a stage where progress is stalled because your body can't go anymore. You just can't do it mm. anymore, and that's where right. she found the extra yard because she wanted it more. She wanted that she fucking just, more. Uh, she <laughs> just pushed through the pain barrier. She had a big bowl of Nutrigrain, and the next thing you know, she was launching that baby yeah. like a t-shirt cannon just into yeah, the crowd. That, that, that's exactly incredible right. stuff. So, um, but yeah, that, that's it. Like you kind of get to. It's the niacin. You know, it's the niacin in the Nutrigrain that really makes the difference. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but there's that. Oh, there's, a, there's a whole different story about Nutrigrain in my family. It literally saved my grandmother's life for another day. In the final word, maybe. Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, well, given that Winnie is technically named um, as a link to my Welsh grandmother, my late Welsh grandmother via mm. the middle name May and the and Winifred, of course, being a, a Welsh name as well. But anyway, yep. um, no, the the the. Endurance and all the rest of it. Um, I think just you know, not that I didn't have admiration for mothers before, and, and the and the process of childbirth, and and obviously the the immense uh, amount of nurturing that, that mums do before they give birth. But um, yeah, it, it's something I'm quite in awe of, uh, and yeah, quite um, quite profoundly affected by. Well, yeah, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, and, and I hope that I hope that when I get my vasectomy, we can talk about that in, in as glowing and meaningful terms. <laughs> well, she'll love you, I'm sure, Jeff. I'm sure when you uh, get a chance to get over here in the middle of the year, that Uncle Uncle Joffa will uh, look after Winnie very well. Yeah, look, I've I've always been firmly on the record that like I'm I'm very fond of looking after other people's kids for a period of up to forty five minutes, um, and <laughs> at that point, you you get to give them back. It's amazing. It's like you know, <laughs> it's like that's right. Buy, buying a suit to wear to a wedding and then returning it, you're like, well, not for me. <laughs> 
<laughs> Leave the tags on. All right. It's uh, we talked about the 20th century being a big one, um, and and the middle point of that was the Second World War. And I know a lot of you have been following us <laughs> specifically for our World War Two content. Why else would you follow the Final Word, the most popular cricket podcast among people who like it? But. Um, Daniel Norcross, who was on a few weeks ago, his analogy was that the six months of the English winter were the same as the six years of the Second World War in, the, in that that's how he had to visualise it to get through uh, to get through the winter. And so he would, he'd worked out a scaled-to-time version of what was happening in each month. And we'd like to keep people up to date now with where we are this week. And, and that's what we're about to do. So Dan does a lot of work, as you'll hear in a moment, when Jeff reads out Dan's latest dispatch, a lot of work's going into this. So much so that yeah. I'm certain that he's going to end up turning it into an essay for the Night Watchman, and we'll talk more about the Night Watchman later, because why wouldn't he? Because this is turning into um, quite the body of work from, from Norky, and look at, mm. as, as I said last week, there's no point us trying to paraphrase it, because there's so much detail. Jeff, you, you're, yep. the, you're, you're the poet of the two of us, so give it your best shot. I'll give it an oration, not in the voice of Daniel Norcross, but in the voice of someone whose voice comes into my head when I read Daniel Norcross. <laughs> it's April 1944. To be precise, today began on the 14th of April, my father's 17th birthday. That's Daniel Norcross's father, not my father. Which... Mm. He, Daniel Norcross's father, spent in a lookout post in Burma where he was stalked by a Bengal tiger. This is actually true. <laughs> by the time of recording, you'll have reached the start of the 20th of April. While we were asleep, the Soviets were busy retaking the Crimea from the Nazis. Crimea River, am I right? Yalta fell at 6am, but while the Nazis are in retreat across Eastern Europe, have been largely trounced in Italy and are waiting nervously for D-Day, while not being sure when and where the Allies will land, the Japanese have launched Operation Ichigo with 600,000 men to attack American air bases in China. A quick aside here from me, Operation Ichigo means Operation 1-3. Wow, really fucking complex codes there, Japan. It's just no wonder the Americans broke them. Ah. At 4pm, the Americans will launch operations Reckless and Persecution. Uh, sounds like something from a Murdoch newspaper. Uh, in New Guinea, with a view to cutting off Japanese forces in Wewak. At 8pm, British troops will force open the road from Imphal to Kohima in India, a big blow for the Japanese. At 9pm, General Patton will put his foot in it by claiming that the US, Britain and Soviet Union will rule the world once the war is over. He was two-thirds right, to be fair. And at 11pm is a D-Day setback when 600 Americans die in a training exercise in England, the Slapton Sands tragedy. The Allies have been pounding German cities and industrial plants in preparation for D-Day, which, as you know, is coming up late on Friday evening. Perfect, straight after the pub. Lastly, a quirk to look out for tomorrow at 10am, schoolteacher and crossword puzzle setter Leonard Dorr will attract the suspicion of Allied intelligence officers when one of the solutions to his puzzle will be Utah. Subsequent puzzles will include Omaha and Overlord, leading them to think he's leaking vital intelligence to the Nazis. Apparently, it is pure coincidence, but I'm guessing his interrogation was a harrowing experience. <laughs> Next week is full steam ahead in Europe, but there will be losses in Asia. It's February after all. Things are tough, but salvation lies just over the horizon. That's World War II with Daniel Norcross. Oh, gosh. Utah Saints. Utah Saints. Utah Saints. You, 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 Utah Saints. Imagine that. Imagine being the bloke who uh, got stitched up for just having... A series of puzzle answers, which we thought were, we thought were code. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost worst nightmare stuff being in that interrogation room. But 
I'm glad he got out the other side. <laughs> and the other thing I'd say, Jeff, is that, I mean, between the two of us, we spent like a really long time studying this stuff. And as we were saying off air, neither of us had ever heard of the, the Slapton Sands tragedy, which is no. um, which is something that w- once we finish recording today, I'm going to go away and spend um, more time than is justifiable Googling. Yeah, Jimmy Wales' website is going to get a workout on the Slapton Sands <laughs> entry later on, I can uh, I can guarantee you. Uh, we're not far away, right, though. I mean, we're, we're at D-Day, which means that, I mean, from a cricket perspective, we know that we're only a few weeks away from the uh, the MCC University Games, uh, which will be played against the county, so essentially mm-hmm. warm-up fixtures. Uh, then, as I mentioned um, earlier, the 12th of April is when the season starts, uh, which, uh, if I recall correctly, that aligns with... Um, victory in Europe Day, or possibly that's a little bit earlier. And then we have mm. um, the the uh, end of the, the the victory tests, and then we move into VJ Day, uh, of course, the fifteenth of August, which might correlate with the first Test match of the summer, something like that. But I guarantee mm. you, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll update you anyway. So right, so the start of the county season is victory in Europe, as in we're p- part of the way there, but not I completely in the think clear. So, or maybe that okay. that might constitute the end. In any case, I know Dan's got this sketched out quite yep. neatly. He he uh, he spends a, an awful lot of time uh, on this, and, and fair enough too. He's uh, he's got that. Uh, got that club in the bag and doesn't mind doesn't mind uh, reminding uh, people uh, on the reg that he's an extremely intelligent guy. And why would you if you're as bright well, as Daniel Norcross? Look, I think we've done a public service. We've kept him busy over the winter, um, and so he's very happy indeed. Right, we have a segment which is a big part of the show every week, each and every week. It is Nerd Pledge, the game of the nerds, the game of the pledges, uh, the game in which the nerds make the pledges that are. are a, from nerds to other nerds who have to be even more nerdy to work out what the nerds meant. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, Adam? I, I do, I do. I mentioned on our very brief Patreon episode the other day that um, it wasn't lost upon some of our um, Twitter followers uh, that uh, that Winnie's birthday being the 14th of February, so of course a Valentine's baby, lovely touch there, 12 months exactly mm. so since we that's, moved into our home That's going to really well. suck for her though later in life though. She's always going to get the whole rolled in together Valentine's and birthday well, gift. Yeah, and, well, you know, I like the idea that she'll be she'll she'll have a one of our patrons, Nick Tuvey, is also born on Valentine's Day. I should add, uh, and uh, and he says it's pretty good uh, because it's always something that people remember. So I think mm. she'll be happy enough with that. Uh, but um, her, her 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 nerd pledge birth date, if you do it in American form, so the date before the day um, is mm. two. 14. So 214, of course, Jeff was a, a nerd pledge last week. Greg mm-hmm. blew it. Uh, he's 214 at the Wanderers in 1997 when he batted all day with mm-hmm. Steve Waugh. Or Victor Trumpo, of course, his high scoring test cricket was 214. So we've got a ready made Winnie Collins nerd pledge. If you want to jump on that, yeah. you're very welcome to do so. Or and if it were 14 2, 142, was that, was that what Ponting made in the World Cup final? Or was that 143? Yeah, I reckon it may have been 142. Forty-two. I know he hit eight sixes and four fours. Uh, so that he's mm. hit twice as many sixes as he did fours. Of course, the, the last ball of the innings, a one-handed, left-handed, if you like, backhand, 20 rows back. Uh, th- that was a very exciting way to, to end that sort of pretty amazing innings, really. Mm. Uh, my my so, favourite was at, was at the other end. It was Damian Martin's cover drive for six. Um, oh, yeah, the, the push. The, where, the where perfect he didn't move his at all, did he? Yeah, it was oh. beautiful. <laughs> it was like the, the Christmas cover drive you've ever seen, but in the 88 not out batting with a broken yep. hand or something like that, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, 88 not. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure of that. But anyway, we'll we'll test ourselves on some other numbers. So this is what happens in Nerd Pledge. We have a website uh, called 
oh, well, there is a website called Patreon. That's where you can support the show if you want to send us a few bucks. And instead of sending us normal numbers of bucks, people send us numbers of bucks and sense that uh, equals something to do with a, a cricketing reference, a cricketing number. For instance, Shemendu Shornikov has sent through uh, a subscription of $2.33. So what does that mean in a cricketing context? 233. Is it 2.33? Is it 233? Is it 23.3? Uh, how many different ways can we interpret that? The thing that jumped out at me immediately was Raul Dravid at Adelaide in 2003. Mm. The second best of Dravid's innings against Australia, perhaps in that era where he just produced masterpiece after masterpiece. Ponting made the double in the first innings. Dravid came out and responded with a double in the second or was it the other way around? Okay. Uh, no, yes. no, you're right. It was uh, Australia racked up 500 yep. in like four sessions. Ponting yep. brought up his 242 or something Yeah, like I that. think I'm right in saying that Ponting had, had, had amassed 200 runs in the first day or something ridiculous Uh, and yes uh, India ended up still taking a first innings lead it was in that era where Adelaide Oval you needed 500 on the board just to pass go uh, and, and India did that. And Agurka bowled Australia out yes. on, the, on the final afternoon. But he bowled them out to make sure the lead wasn't anything significant and then Dravid, oh, was, right. yeah. Dravid was able to get 70 not out um, and 72 not out maybe and chase it down. Mm. But yeah, I love that test match just for... Uh, because I've, I always have this um, idea that I like to expound upon that not every cricketer but a lot of cricketers who aren't that good still have their one day, their perfect day, mm. their day where everything just goes right for them. And I always felt a bit sorry for Ajit Agurka who was always making ducks with the bat against Australia and having a pretty miserable time and it's hard bowling in Australia when you're a, a slowish swing bowler and all the rest of it and then he just had that one day that one afternoon where the ball just hooped out of his hand six for 43 I reckon if something that, like that I reckon that. it might have been six for 30 something it was amazing yeah An amazing got, got Damien Martin Reverse was swing. one of them yeah, yeah, it was because uh, he made that Test hundred early on in his career. Then mm. came to Australia and made, oh gosh, was it six ducks in a row or something? I think it was seven. It was seven ducks against Australia in a row, so it wasn't consecutive right. in all of his Tests. But yeah, against Australia it was. And coming back four years after that uh, to Australia again, where there was so much pressure heaped on his shoulders, and and in the what ended up proving to be the pivotal Test match of that series, as far as getting mm. India on the board. Uh, I know Australia won the next week in Melbourne, but still it meant that um, India were able to, to square the series and Australia didn't win, which in that mm. era was very rare. So it could easily be Rahul Dravid, another um, player from that era who didn't play in that series and was unlucky not to, really. Uh, Martin Love finished with 233 test runs. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> very good. But his last test innings, of course, was 100, an unbeaten century and even 100 not out against Bangladesh mm. in the top-end test in, in earlier 2003, but um, he was uh, out of the test side after that. So he's one and only test ton, I think. He only made one test yeah. ton. He probably yeah. had to have given he only made 233 runs, but alas, the the, uh, the point being that um, it was in 2003, and uh, yes, 233 runs for, for Martin Love at the top level, a player who, had he been in any other era, uh, probably would have made, um, you know, uh, 2,000 test runs or, or, mm. uh, or 20 test hundreds. Um, probably, a lot yeah, more look, than 20, probably a lot more than 2,000 runs if you made 20 <laughs> test hundreds, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, not if they were all exactly 100. In fact, true, true. on the form that he showed of making exactly 100 every time he made 100, he would have made exactly 2,000 test runs. So you're spot on. Your um, your adult baby maths brain is working. So, Shemendu, uh, hopefully we've got somewhere near the mark. I'm, I'm tipping Rail Driver for that one. Ethan Morgan, um, who has pledged on the show before but has renewed a pledge with a, a different number. 
2.21. And initially I thought, hang on, that's ponting at Adelaide as well. Maybe it's ponting in the first innings of the Dravid test, but I was wrong. It was the other ponting at Adelaide in no, 2012 no, when he made the... 12, yeah, uh, yeah 11th, whatever it was, when he made the um, the century against that completely busted-ass Indian team that Michael Clark was thrashing. Um, yeah, every so that was, his, that was his 40th... That was his... F- oh, no, sorry, it wasn't. His 40th test 100 was at Sydney the week before, wasn't it, when yeah, that he was batted alongside Michael Clark and then he backed it up in Adelaide last week when, as you say, they were completely broken. But um, I, I, I've got a different nomination. Let's move mm-hmm. it away from Adelaide. Let's move it to uh, let's move it to the to Shepley Oval at, at the Dandenong Cricket Club, where one Peter Siddle hailed from, who finished his Test career with two hundred and twenty-one scalps. Um, so given um, our affection for Pete Siddle and given the last time that SIDS should have been raised on Nerd Pledge, I completely fluffed my lines when 6.54 uh, came up and I neglected to remember that 6.54 was what we what he took on his birthday when taking a hat trick in, in 2010. Oh. Uh, I, I'm sure that um, 221 uh, yep. must relate to the Siddler. I am sure as well that Ethan Morgan, as a listener to the show, would definitely have put Peter Siddle into his Nerd Pledge action. So thank you, Ethan. Open inverted commas, Captain, close inverted commas, Morgan, uh, for that 2-2-1 and uh, Peter Siddle Day gets another vote of confidence. 25th of November, it's coming up this year. Uh, we'll be on the phone to Tan Andrews straight after this. Uh, right. Our last one for the week is from Chris Unwin, a long-time correspondent of ours on mm-hmm. the internet. Hello, Chris, and thank you for the support. And he has put in... Uh, a number we've had before, but it may not relate to things we've had before. He's put in 207. So if I'm looking at that in batting terms, I know we've talked uh, a fair bit about another Ricky Ponting double hundreds. They're not all Ricky Ponting double hundreds. Um, the one at Pakistan where he got dropped on naught by Muhammad Ami and nothing sus. And also the one from Nasser Hussain at Birmingham. But I was thinking, what about Everton Weeks? Maybe Chris Onion is a big Everton Weeks fan. Now, yeah. uh, this 207 was against India at Port of Spain. It's not in the famous streak of five. Everton Weeks still holds the record for the most consecutive innings where he scored 100, scored 500s in five innings. Um, it wasn't in that streak, but it was his highest score by a matter of one run. He made 15 tonnes, which means a century every 3.2 tests, which on my spreadsheet of ratios of centuries per test or tests per century, uh, he's the seventh all-time. Veracol is just snuck ahead of him recently. Steve Smith's ahead of him. Uh, Bradman and uh, Headley, of course. But, yeah, there's, there are only six other players. There are only six players total ahead of weeks for the uh, best ratio of matches, 200s, if that makes any sense. Well, I love that, Jeff. I love that we've got um, Everton weeks in uh, this week uh, for one of the midwives who's been magnificent to Rach and I at North Middlesex Hospital, uh, where we had uh, little Winnie, um, was uh, her, her maiden name was Walcott because she is of the Walcott uh, clan in in Trinidad and Tobago. So I love that there's a nice little link through to the, the three W's and uh, Everton Weeks, of course. Uh, uh, well, not not of course, but Everton Weeks. One of his relatives, Paul Weeks, is someone who I played with uh, periodically at the Hampstead Cricket Club many years ago. Uh, I think I hit him for a lot of runs in a, in an intra club game once as well, which I you don't forget those sorts of things. He of course played for about 15 years down at Middlesex uh, as a professional and, and these days he's a prominent cricket coach in North London so a nice couple of links there and um, and, and uh, I love the idea that we get uh, Weeksy in this week Those uh, some numbers for this week speaking of numbers I've, I've got a stats Statman segment that I'm, I think we'll do next week time permitting which I, I cannot wait to bring you it is 
with no exaggeration, it is the hardest I have laughed at any <laughs> cricket-related information while I was assembling the bits of information for this. I, I will not give you any kind of hints. Uh, okay. I, will not, I will not spoil the surprise, but uh, I think it's next week, so make sure you listen to that show because it will just be Excellent. me giggling hysterically for about twenty three minutes. Well, next next week's going to be. A, I'm, I don't want to. I don't want to sort of uh, spoil. Um, next week's going to be a great episode. Keep listening this week. This week's going to be mm. good too. But but next week we've got some real special stuff coming up too. So I'm glad that Statman will be part of it. This week will also be paramount in its excellence, Adam. After our habitual break, and a message from the bus that went to sea, we'll be getting former Australian champion Lisa Thalaka on the phone to talk about the Women's T20 World Cup. And we'll be casting our own eyes over it as well. What might lie ahead in the weeks to come? That's up next on The Final Word. Hi, I'm Natalie Jimonis, and you're listening to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. The final word each week now is brought to you by CBUS Superannuation. Uh, CBUS Investments products and services are in fact tailored to meet the unique needs of the members of the building and construction and allied industries, including fit for purpose insurance. There's no point having insurance if it's not fit for purpose. Am I right? I have said that a thousand times if I've said it once. All profits go to members and that's the nice thing about CBUS. CBUS provides advice and products which allows members to convert their retirement savings into regular and flexible income in retirement, Jeff. The organisation manages over $50 billion of members' money, which frankly I hope no one would ever trust me with. And their average return over the last 35 years is 9.23%, which is a lot of percents if you like percents. And of course they invest directly back into the building and construction industry, stimulating activity and creating jobs. So those are the things to remember about CBUS Super, investing in building projects, creating jobs for members, supporting the industry and providing access to fit-for-purpose insurance are all valuable things, Adam. It's all at cbussuper.com.au. Proud friends we are of CBUS Super. So happy to be aligned with them as we work our way through 2020 on the final word, cbussuper.com.au. And, of course, you must remember that... Uh, Past results do not necessarily guarantee future results. And uh, to see if Super Super is right for you, uh, download a PDS at the aforementioned website, cbussuper.com.au. This is the final word, and we're very lucky to be joined on the line by Lisa Saleka, one of the busiest and hardest working commentators in the game and a former Australian champion on the field. And it must feel a bit like the lead up to Christmas for you with the T20 World Cup about to get underway in Australia. Yeah, it does, though I've got to remind myself, and sometimes I feel that uh, we've just finished our summer, but it's kind of all kicking off again. So uh, you kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah, I mean, it, it does feel that way, but it, it also feels weird that the the T20 World Cup as it is now or the, or the World T20 is something, a, a tournament in which Australia has this dominant history, but it's it's never been played in Australia. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, we've got to uh, rewind a little bit to the last time a home World Cup or an ICC event was played here. It was 2009. So um, this country has been dying out for, for more ICC women's events. And uh, off the back of the WBBL and the success of that, um, 
you know, I think it, it's culminated nicely into creating potentially one of the most exciting tournaments uh, in uh, T20 cricket history. So we wanted to get into a bit of the nitty-gritty with, with some of the teams. And one of the things that has bugged Adam and I for a while, um, the West Indies were were such an exciting team a few years ago. They won in 2016. Um, they looked like they were going to be the, the less resourced team that was really going to compete with the wealthier nations. But they seem to have just gone off a cliff in, in both 20 over and 50 over cricket in the last three, four years. I mean, the 2017 World Cup was probably when, when the cracks first really started to show. From watching them, have you got any sense of like how this has happened? Why, why such a, a promising team with a lot of the same players ended up, or why a world champion team has ended up becoming so frail so much of the time? Yeah, well, we've got, I guess we've got to rewind to 2016 and, and they were a side that played fearlessly. They were the complete underdogs. Um, everyone knew there was a couple of main players, but they just came off time and time again. Um, so they shocked the world. I think they shocked themselves as well, how well they, they, they did in that tournament. So, yeah, there was an expectation of, wow, there's about three or four players that are mm. world class. The issue that West Indies have is it's made up of individual countries. Um, and with that comes its own issues, territorial issues as well. West Indies cricket hasn't necessarily been flying as an organisation because of that, um, both in men's and women's cricket. And, and what, what I'm finding and what I'm hearing from a lot of players, not just the West Indian players, is that the domestic structure underneath the international side uh, or the national side, should I say, uh, isn't as strong as it should be. So, for instance, you know, India played the mm. West Indies recently. There was a number of players, key players, out for injury, yep. and they just didn't have the depth. So, I agree with you that they're, they're a very frustrating side because you think, wow, how much talent could you unearth mm. in that region? Um but it's not as easy uh, as clicking your fingers, unfortunately. And a lot of people have to come together for the, the betterment of the sport. And there's also a frustration for me watching teams, particularly I think Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, they all seem to follow a similar template, which is that if if, if they can swarm a team in the field, they've, they've got a raft of bowlers they can they can keep teams to low scores some of the time and if they can do that they can maybe chase a, a lowish score or they can maybe put 120 on the board but it's always with the batting that they struggle and it always seems to be with the same sorts of things which is basically the professionalism in batting you know being able to turn over the strike being able to to, to get singles being able to accelerate uh, at the right times whereas often they just seem to get stuck in the mud um, and and, and players get stuck on strike and dot balls mount up and, and scores don't come. But it seems like nothing much has changed over the, the course of quite a few years with those teams. The same problems seem yeah. to exist every time they, they play at a tournament. Um, I mean, do you think that's a reasonable assessment? Or I actually think Pakistan probably improved. Mm. Um, I think they had a T20 series against South Africa and they... Wa uh, was it two all? Yeah, three, three, two. I think in three, the end. Two, so, sorry. and and they were, yeah, they were two all going into the decider, um, yeah, which which so, was a surprise for everybody. Yeah, so I think I think Pakistan have been making some gains. Mm. Um, 
the issue again that you've got to kind of rely on apart from the ICC Women's Championship which the top eight teams are forced to play each other and maybe off the back of that they play some T20 cricket there's some countries that aren't playing enough cricket and Mm. again you go back to the domestic structure how strong is it right so they might be these players are the best of the best in their country but they're not put under pressure right. they come to an ICC event and the bowlers are not going to give you a loose ball so how do you rotate mm. the strike um, they don't experience that necessarily week in week out back at home so that's why it's important um, that money is invested at a domestic structure to increase the standard which in tenfold will increase what you've got. At the moment, you know, at an international level playing this ICC Women's Championship mm. has certainly exposed teams like a South Africa and I also think Pakistan to a certain degree, um, a, a team that have been on the rise, to compete now with the, mm. the bigger nations. And then you've got to think on the flip side, um, those type of bilateral series and, and obviously ICC events. Players that do well because of the big bash and now the 100. Yep those players might get a chance of getting selected and all of a sudden they, they're in a different environment, they learn different skill sets, they're exposed to different practices, mm. ways of going about cricket, ways of thinking about it and hopefully they bring that back to the rest of their squad. When you're talking about those skill sets and uh, and the funding that that, that requires, you're basically looking at Australia, England, India as the, the countries that have a reasonable amount of money going into their women's programs comparatively and then everybody else a long way off. From a player's perspective or a coaching perspective, you know, you've, you've had both. What, what are the tangible differences in terms of training or in terms of what a player can actually achieve when a team's getting properly funded and supported versus when a lot of these teams are having to cobble it together themselves? Well, I mean, I just just kind of speaking to probably New Zealand and South Africa teams that just sit outside but yet can compete. Mm. Um, it goes back to, you know, training camps, um, uh, you know, and some other girls within the squad might have to work. So they're yep. not all full-time professionals. So you've got to juggle around training commitments to their work commitments as well. Whereas you look at the Australian team, if they want to camp for two weeks, up they go to the NCC. They've got the facilities there. They're ready to go. They can do intra-squad matches. Um, they've got a domestic structure where they can pick players out to play against the Australian team. Yep. For instance, the CA11, and it's a competitive side. Um, but again, I just keep falling back on the domestic structure is strong in those countries, predominantly, obviously, Australia. Mm. Um, England is probably getting a little bit better with their county system, and obviously the 100 and the Kia Super League has provided younger players a yep. chance to kind of be exposed. Um, and India certainly have a great domestic structure. So many s- states are playing cricket and they've got this um, T20 Challengers Cup with the top, you know, they bring in 36 players mm-hmm. uh, in India and then they play them and then s- s- pick a side out of there. So th- th- there's avenues there to kind of filter through and, and make sure when the matches for final selections are being looked upon, mm. they're, tough, they're tough matches. So... Um, you know, that's what I think the difference is. Most most national teams are getting pretty good facilities to train on. Um, you know, the, the, I look at New Zealand actually in the build-up for this T20 World Cup. Yep. So they played South Africa recently, and I think the last time they played, mm. 
Um, let me just turn to my notes. Last time they played was um, India in February of last year. You're right. So it's been a whole year. Yeah. So that's just not enough cricket. But then they rely heavily on a number of their players playing the Kia Super League and the WBBL. Yeah. So that's so that's how New Zealand go. You know what? We can't afford to have lots of tours or we can't afford mm. um, to pay our players, but our players are good enough to go and earn money abroad and get that exposure. So we'll, we'll create clean windows for them to do that mm. and we'll create our international cricket around that. But, uh, yeah, so, and then you get that situation though where maybe half a dozen of the players in the squad haven't correct. had that opportunity and so yeah. that's where the, the disparity gets shown up. Yeah, I mean they're starting to... So now obviously with the change of the WBBL... Um, being October, November, all of their players can go back and play in their domestic competitions that are now being televised as well. So right. I, I would imagine we're going to see a, an increase and obviously with the next 50 over World Cup being played in New Zealand, yep. um, New Zealand have learnt their lessons off the back of 2000 where they just expected everything to happen yep. and they didn't put anything in place, whereas I think um, I think New Zealand cricket will ensure that that, that isn't, a, isn't a missed opportunity. We saw the New Zealanders living up to the reputation of being the, yeah. the, the nice team in the world by running the, uh, an impromptu coaching clinic with, with the Thailand team. At the same time, it made me a bit worried thinking that, you know, if, if Thailand are needing to be told um, you don't have to hit the ball in the air, you can hit it along the ground as well, then you sort of think, oh, God, you know, what what's going to happen to them in this tournament? Um, what do you think Thailand can get out of it? Obviously, they're, they're not likely to win games, but... No, they're going to win a game. Are they? Who are they yeah, going to roll? What's the hot tip? Gonna, I don't know who they're going to roll, but they're going <laughs> to win a game. I'm backing them to win a game. I'm cheering them on. What um, do you think they can achieve um, in practical terms, sort of in the in the medium term as well, rather than just over the next couple of weeks well, from, from this is, experience? They've only been exposed to qualifying tournaments, so yeah. teams like Bangladesh and Ireland, really. Now, um, you look at how those teams have gone in ICC events, and they're not great. Mm. So I think for them to be exposed to teams like New Zealand, Australia, you know, who's in their pool again? Um, they are... They're in pool B, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, so they've so, got Pakistan, West Indies, England, South Africa. Yeah, so they'll be exposed to some really good cricket. The warm-ups will be really professional. got to remember as well, like, their coaching staff, you know, how... How long have they been involved at the elite level? Because mm. it's really a developing country. Um, so I think it, it will be um, imperative for every, all of them, coaching staff included, to listen, eyes open, see what other teams are doing, how they go about it. Mm. Uh, and, and also, if, if New Zealand have kind of shown what they can do, I, I'm hoping that the rest of that group B, if they get the opportunity, is to share some information. Because what we want to make sure is whilst, um, you know, you and I may be cheering for Australia to win again, um, it's not the best thing for the global tournament. We need, you know, five, six, seven, Mm. eight countries that are really competitive for, for the development of women's cricket globally. We can't just have two or three just kind of leaping ahead and the rest are trying to catch them because it, it won't make for entertaining cricket. So Thailand is a great story um, and I hope that they do well and I have no doubt that they will learn so much and so will their coaching staff. 
the other group A is the tougher group: Australia, New Zealand, and group India. All, all in, yes. Well, there's got to be one. There's always a group of death, isn't there? <laughs> um, so it's Bangladesh and Sri Lanka with the tough task of trying to get past um, uh, two of those three and and get themselves into a semi-final spot. Um, but it, it, India, they're that bit unpredictable, and, and New Zealand, as you say, I, I always feel like everybody tips New Zealand ahead of time, but they just never quite deliver. Yeah, unfortunately for New Zealand, um, they have the kiss of death when it comes to an ICC event. Um, you know, there have been a number of occasions where you kind of look at their side on paper and go, wow, they should absolutely win this event. Mm. And then they, they don't feature, um, you know, they feature in the semifinals yep. and, and then they kind of just falter at the last hurdle. That will again be an issue for them, I think, because... It is really the same group of players, unless someone like a, an Amelia Kerr or, mm. or one of the youngsters who haven't necessarily been scarred <laughs> um, yep. can kind of go, no, nah, I'm taking this game on and I'm winning it for my country. And that might just be enough to get them over the line. But, <laughs> um, you know, I hope they do well because they are a great side. And, and when, you know, Sophie Devine and Susie Bates and... Rachel Priest and Katie Martin and Maddie Green, who played really well for the Brisbane Heat in the WBBL. If they all get flying, um, it's it's going to be some entertaining cricket. And uh, let's let's finish with you. Your personal history with this tournament. Have you been involved with? You might you might have been involved with all of them in in terms of commentary and so on. Are there any uh, women's T Twenty global events that you've missed? Because back no, in no, back no, in 09, no, no. you were batting first drop. <laughs> Was I? Yeah. God, they were desperate, weren't they? <laughs> um, they didn't realise that you needed power hitters in the top. But anyway, I, I snuck through there. Um, uh, no, I played in I played in 09, 10 and 12. And then 2014, I was part of the coaching staff, mm-hmm. um, which was funny in itself. Um, <laughs> and then 16 and 18, obviously, commentary. So this will be my third one for commentary. So, so you've got the full set so far. I've got the full set, yeah. Amazing. And it's, and it's great to see. It's great to see how the game has developed. But then, you know, I look back to 09 and that semi-final against England. Yep. And that was really entertaining cricket. You know, what, 150, 160? Uh, England chasing it down. You know, people say that that was the game that Ian Chappell, who was commentating, went, whoa, okay, women's cricket exists and it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, 163 Australia made and uh, Lisa Stalaker 28 from 21 blazing it at, at number blazing. three so yeah sh- don't just don't look at my um, bowling figures <laughs> that's, that's that's yeah it was too big that oval like too many twos we just didn't adapt anyway why are you bringing up 09 uh, and that <laughs> seriously I'm going to be like rocking in a corner tonight uh, well, a lot of other people went for runs as well, so you know, don't 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 feel too bad. Catherine Brunt got smashed. Um, Holly Good. Colvin got smashed. <laughs> Charlotte Edwards bowled an over and went for thirteen. So yeah. you know, it wasn't it wasn't happy days for anyone with the ball in that game, but it it, it did get Thanks. the game moving. But uh, it, it's a it's a wonderful history you have, and and I hope you get to be involved with many more T uh, Twenty World Cups as they will be from now on. And and I think the shift in branding is important as well. Just to make it clear what this actually is, that it is the, you know, a premium tournament up there with the 50-over World Cup. Yeah, it certainly has been probably the biggest vehicle for women's cricket. So whilst the 50-over is the ultimate prize um, in women's cricket, this is starting to become 
one that certainly means a lot and it, it is allowing the face of the game to change constantly every time you know a T20 World Cup is being played Beautifully said Lisa Slaker thanks so much for joining the final word No worries it's the final word. Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins and Lisa Salaka who joined us here. Thank you to her for her time. She's an extremely busy woman, so we're very grateful that she made a bit of time to chat to us about cricket and what is going down and what is going down over the next few weeks, Adam. The, the way that I'm thinking this tournament is going to work is it's going with my theory, in, particularly in women's T20 cricket, where there's, there's an old school versus a new school. There's there are old school matches and we still see them happen some of the time but not all the time. But it depends whether they're being played on pitches that are a bit slow, a bit tired, keeping low, mm. um, where it's not easy to time shots. And when you get one of those old school games, it's when a team sort of swarms another one a bit, get a couple of early wickets, suppress the run rate and they end up chipping through most of the lineup or often bowling them out for somewhere between, you know, 90 and 120. And then a side that's not particularly good at batting can still get over the line. Now, that's the model that the teams without a lot of batting strike power like Pakistan, Bangladesh and so on, that's how they can win games and that's how they do win games when they do. And we saw Sri Lanka do that to, against England, not not in a formal match, but in one of the warm-up matches earlier this week where they kept the, the English to about... 120 was it yep. and then 123 um, and then you, then they need you know it's usually one player has to have a really good day with the bat Shamari Adapatu did as she uh, does quite a bit of the time you know got 70 out of 50 balls and <clears throat> and strolled them home pretty easily in the end but when you get games of it that are the new school style when the strike players are actually able to really get going um, and and rack up big scores, 150s, 170s and so on. There are only a couple of teams in the world that can win those sort of games, um, yep. maybe three or four sides that can win those and and the aforementioned sides aren't among them. So that's that's what I think is going to decide how this progresses. It's whether uh, whether those old school games are numerous or, or whether the Australian conditions lend themselves to the new style. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's sturdy analysis. If, if it's played... In the latterly fashion, uh, Australia will win this tournament, uh, you know, by a mile, uh, because they have put the work in, they've invested accordingly, they've got such a deep bank of hitters that if it's played on surfaces which suit that kind of cricket, that more bombastic style of cricket, they'll be fine. Um, if it can be scrappier, though, um, different story. Uh, and you're spot on about looking at that practice game. Who would have, if, if England were to lose to Sri Lanka in the tournament proper, it'd be a scandal. Mm. There'll be so many questions asked if, if England uh, were to lose that game in, in, in regulation, and, and, and fair enough too, given the amount of investment England cricket have put into their women's side and of course they are the, the reigning 50 over world champions and they've made a, a slew of 20 over finals including the last one in 2018 in Antigua where they lost to Australia but um, and and that will give some hope to teams like Bangladesh remember Bangladesh uh, won the Asia Cup a couple of years ago knocking off India in the final in a low scoring game the type you're, you're mentioning the previous World T20 in 2016 was played in those types of conditions very slow very hard to watch in many respects that was uh, not a great advertisement for women's cricket through no fault of their own. It's just the surfaces didn't um, live up to, to expectations and it meant that it was that grind. Um, but I, I'm fairly sure that the curators around the nation will be mindful of that. There's no competing men's cricket. There's no concurrent men's tournament. So there's no excuse. that They should be hard mm. and fast surfaces. And, and, I, and I don't want to see Australia win comfortably and the 
the rich to get richer in terms of their trophy haul. But what I do want to see is is the the sides who are not quite as strong or not quite as deep uh, be forced to get better, not necessarily have the best teams dragged back to the pack in that sort of attritional fashion mm. that you were mentioning before, Jeff. Uh, you know, we want to see this this sport, and we've seen in in the WBBL the trends over the five seasons so far. The scoring rates have consistently got better. Uh, it's a completely different game to season one now in terms of boundary struck sixes hit and so on, and the bowlers have had to keep up and I like that I like the fact mm. that you can't get away in the WBBL anymore being a, a dibbly dobbly so to speak um, who can bowl us very slowly and very straight um, and rely on a little bit of movement not necessarily um, with spin but I mean more like old fashioned kind of floating it down like Chris Harris did in the, in the 90s for, for want of a better example and expect to get away with it you don't get away with that in the big bash anymore and, and I hope that they won't get away with it in this World Cup I hope that uh, you'll be yep. rewarded if you're excellent and if you're not you won't be, and, and this will this will will play out accordingly. Yeah, there's a, a sort of assumption in local media that it's a fait accompli that Australia will at least play off in the final. You know, CA is certainly backing that by all of the the campaign to get ninety thousand mm. people in, and it's not unreasonable when you look at the amount of advantages Australia's got. When you look at that side, it's the versatility and variety. It's the the fact that if you're looking at if you if you list the roles, there are only two specialist bats in the team. That's the captain and vice captain. So Lanning and Haynes, everybody else can bowl aside from the keeper. So you've got eight bowlers. No matter how you pick that team, mm. um, they bat down to nine or ten depending on the makeup as well you know you've got someone like Jess Jonathan who's top one of the top scorers in the WBBL coming in at maybe nine in the order you've got Annabelle Sutherland who's been doing some great work as a finisher coming in way down the order and so there's all this versatility within that that side that others don't have and I was looking at it comparing it to England in the tri-series that we just saw played England's fifth bowler most of the time is a combination of Heather Knight and Nat Siver you know neither of them outstanding proponents with the ball they're Batting is just doing weird stuff at the moment. They had Lauren Winfield batting at eight in pretty much every match of that tri-series, barely getting a hit, fielding at mid-on and long-on, not bowling, and then the bowling was coming from the top order. And and Lauren Winfield's not a, a noted striker of the ball, so it's not like she could come in and be damaging. She seemed like an insurance policy for when things had gone massively wrong. But it seems to me like there's there's no real strike power in that England team, aside from Siva, really, is the only one who can go big for a consistent period of time. Yeah, look, I, I think, look, England have beaten Australia more often in T20s than Australia have won. Uh, I think it might have been, uh, I'm stretching here, was it Raph Nicholson that wrote a piece about this? So maybe it was Nick Friend actually on the Cricketer website noting that um, that England ha- have won 18 times out of the 35 encounters but the problem is is that Australia don't lose to England in the big games in, in the T20 format. Mm. They, they find a way of getting it done in, in, in the global tournaments uh, and that is a psychological thing as much as, any, as anything else. So I'm sort of aware of that history and aware of the fact that England consider Australia to be the big dog at the moment, and, and they should, uh, given recent history, what we saw during the Women's Ashes last year. I, I do think they do have the, the firepower. I mean, you look at a player like Daniel White, who has been consistently very good against Australia in T20 cricket. Um, Nat Sivers now fit. I know she was carrying a niggle through the warm-up games last week, but we, we of course, know from not just the big bash, but 
at what she's done on in in in, uh, in high profile series before the the women's ashes of, of 2015 and, and the world cup of, of 2017 stand out and of course um, nearly went on to make a test century last year uh, down in taunton so she's versatile as well so nat siver is the sort of player who can take a game away from anybody but um when, when you look at the depth chart uh, they are very clearly on that second rung now aren't they and you look at india as well who have an explosive top order but do they have the depth? And South Africa, who have palpably fallen away and have a terrible record in, in big tournaments. And then there's New Zealand, who, I mean, uh, have some fine players. And I love the fact that... Always so the underachievers. Always the underachievers. The, the, the Adelaide under- strikers of world yeah, cricket. And the fact that, I mean, yeah, and Sophie Devine being, of course, the Adelaide strikers <laughs> superstar as well. Not to say she's an underachiever personally, but um, I, I like her as skipper. I like liberating Susie Bates from some of the broader responsibilities she's had uh, as a long-term skipper. Uh, and mm. I, I just think that now the expectations are off their shoulders, maybe, Jeff. I feel like we went into mm. the, the, the World Cup in New Zealand, uh, rather in the West Indies two years ago, which I had a great fortune of covering in St. Lucia and Antigua. And we just thought, well, New Zealand are, are ripe here, a whole bunch of players at the, at the right age to, to win something, and they got bundled out in, in the group stage. I, I wonder whether now mm. that... I mean, I know they're in the, the tougher of the two groups uh, in this tournament. Of course, they'll have to find a way to get beyond Australia or India in Group A to get through to the semi-finals. Um, and, of course, in Group B, it would have been a far easier route to the Final Four. But, yeah, I, I just wonder whether, um, given that we're not really talking about New Zealand and we're kind of assuming that Australia and India stand apart from them in that group, that this might be the right time for them uh, without the expectation. Yeah, I, I just think it's that next tier of New Zealand players aren't really there. Um, they're, they're not quite up to that level. So, yeah, you've got Devine, you've got Bates, you've got Leah Tahuhu with the ball, mm. but um, it's, it's it's that second tier of players who need to be the ones to step up when the big players fail and New Zealand have that consistently hasn't happened over the years and I think South Africa's much the same way. You've got a couple of a couple who can lead the line, so Marazan Cap and Dane Vanicote with the ball and uh, and then Lizelle Lee with the bat and Chloe Tryon, the, the power that she brings down the order. You know, she's she might be the one thing that sets South Africa apart a bit in that you've got someone who can come in at seven and strike at 180 or something ridiculous if she, you know, she, she'll hit the biggest sixes in mm. world cricket in, in the women's game consistently by a long, long way. But it's whether they can find themselves in a situation where a couple of cameos from her can be enough. You know, if she can do it in a semi-final, then then suddenly they're they're in contention. But they've got to make a semi-final first. So they've, yeah. they've got to win consistently enough to do that. Yeah, I, I note that Lee Kasperick's in great nick at the moment and Amelia Kirk is going back to New Zealand for a sec. If the pitches mm. are bouncy, they'll be well suited to that their spin department in addition to Leah Tahuhu and, and Bates and, and Devine, of course, playing that all-rounder role, probably their fourth and fifth bowlers at the moment. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. They, they look like... Yeah, I think a lot of this will come down to the surface. I'm, I'm repeating myself here, but if the surfaces are true and bouncy, uh, yeah, I, I hope this is more open than, than it looks on, on paper. I saw Beth Mooney uh, talking in an interview overnight as well, making the same point you did, Jeff, that uh, don't assume that Australia is going to make the final. I mean, women's cricket is, is better than that. It's just that they are overwhelmingly the strongest team. We, we've yeah. seen in a number of major tournaments, in a number of sports, uh, where favourites have, for whatever reason, had things go wrong uh, at the crucial moment. 
a lot of expectations the first time this tournament's been held on Australian soil. Of course, Australia have won this tournament routinely, but but never at home. Uh, so yeah, there, there is there are other factors at play, and they did lose two of their um, games in the Tri Series, one to England and, and one to India, which doesn't, for a heartbeat, suggest that they that they that they uh, you know got a chink in the armour or anything like that. I, I don't think that that's the case, but it, it does mean that they uh, have been perhaps grounded at, at the right time. And the fact that Elisa Healy mm. hasn't been in the runs, she didn't make at the double figures in the tri-series across five innings but we know of course last time she, she played in, in a major tournament she made 225 runs at a strike rate of like 200 at an average of 60 odd and was, was player of that tournament so uh, I wouldn't have too many concerns about her stepping up when it matters most Yeah it's simply a matter of um, a semi-final is a knockout game and anyone yeah. can have a, a bad T20 game, any team Absolutely. can so that's where you're vulnerable really um, that you know, one bad game and, and things are over. So that's the test for Australia. Uh, let's take a little break and then we'll be back with our final segment, uh, wrapping up the news, views, headlines from around the world and, and then signing off. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford Brent and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. The final word this week, uh, rather than telling you about Wisdom Cricket Monthly, would like to tell you about their other publication, The Night Watchman. Uh, the Night Watchman is a quarterly publication, so that means it comes out four times a year for those of you who are fractionally challenged. <laughs> and uh, they've, they've partnered with us. Uh, it's another terrible word. It's up there with content partnering. But they've, they've got involved with us to offer massive discounts, crazy discounts. The Night Watchman is going mad. <laughs> Stock is running out the door. Um, they're taking 20% off about just about anything that you want to buy from them. Um, So they've got the best of the last five years edition, um, which uh, naturally I'm in. And uh, they've got the, the, they've got their future publishing stuff for this year, the four issues that'll come out this year. And you can get 20% off either of those things, uh, both of them, if you want. Uh, by using a special secret code that you'll find out about in this segment. So uh, the renovations of our living room and downstairs, Jeff, we finished it just before Winnie was born and I've now got a dedicated shelf for my Wisdoms and I've got a dedicated shelf to collect the Night Watchman as well. So I've got a lot of Wisdoms, as you know, but I'm, I'm just going to slowly add to those um, up in the uh, up in, in the living room, much to um, Rachel's delight. And uh, yeah, I've decided I'm going to get the full set of Night Watchmans as well. I've got quite a few of those already there, but I want to have all 32 by the end of this year um, mm. and they might become beds, bed, uh, nighttime, well, you know, bedtime stories at, at some stage reading and if they are yeah. in, the, in, in addition number 29 which is coming out on March the 10th she can hear about Steve Smith's batting from Daniel Ray uh, John Hotton one of my favourite writers in the world uh, is talking about the humility and decency of Jack Hobbs I can't wait to get my hands on that uh, Dominic Bliss is writing about Bob Willis Bob Willis's brief career as a goalkeeper there you go um, Izzy Westbury and what a name <laughs> Dominic Bliss Beautiful yes. name. Just uh, <laughs> Izzy Westbury, who we've already mentioned on the show today, is talking about the touring life of England's women in the 1980s. And Isabel Duncan... That I would like to know. And, yeah. and, and did it keep up with the touring life of, of the men. many of the men's teams that we've talked about in yeah. the 1980s? Yeah. If it, it's like a complimentary part to Derek Pringle's uh, book from a couple of years ago. <laughs> uh, Isabel Duncan is uh, talking about Betty Wilson, of course, as the greatest women cricketer, women's cricketer, rather, of them all. Uh, Harry Pearson... Uh, on the, actually, that could be debated going forward. When does Meg Lanning... Anyway, different day, different story. Mm. Uh, Harry Pearson uh, on the uniquely depressing lot 
of the drinks carrier. And uh, and look, that, that feline sounds like a typically eclectic edition of the mm. Night Watchman, edition number 29, and there's a big old what discount I, for that and throughout the course of 2020, Jeff. Tell us how you get it. That's right. But uh, what I would recommend that you do, Adam, is, is get all of those editions and then stitch them into a, a quilt and then you could give that to Winnie to, to snuggle up under and keep warm <laughs> and then, you know, flip any of the pages open and have a read when she gets old enough. Uh, so, look, if you want to get... This might get slightly confusing, but it's not that confusing. You just have to go to the Night Watchman website, find the shop. It's not that hard. You'll figure it out. And then you put in a coupon code after you buy what you want to buy. So if you want to get the best of the first five years edition, the code is tfw twenty. TFW20. If you want to get 20% off all of the issues that will be sent to you over the course of this year, the code is TFW2020. <laughs> so they're basically the same code, but one has an extra 20 added on. So look, if you're confused, try TFW20. And if that doesn't work, add another 20. Are we clear? Clear as mud. But the key information is that you go to nightwatchman.net, nightwatchman.net forward slash buy better still. Uh, TFW20. That gets you uh, the print or digital edition of the best of the five years. Jeff's in it. I'm not. Point of contention. Time for a move. <laughs> I did. It was spicy. Not, not I didn't, re- didn't realise I was just... You know, not that you're Was I elf? I, I did spend six months working on that fucking essay about the history of the of the Jerusalem him and its relationship Ooh. to England cricket. Thought it deserved a fucking gong anyway. Not that I'm bitter. Not that I'm bitter. Um, I, I'm really not. I didn't realise I was full... I didn't realise I was elfering you by... Um, by like mentioning that I was in it before, <laughs> no, just, just playing along. And then there's, and then there's I was this just negging. I was just subtly negging you yeah, to like right. to make you like me more. No, no, no. And the, but the coupon. Oh. I think the 2021 though, the, the 2020 offer TFW 2020, uh, which will get you 20 percent off the four editions. It is a great read each quarter. I mean, there's a reason why the Wisdom Almanac have their name uh, plastered all over it. It is the Wisdom Quarterly. We'll talk more about the Almanac uh, when we get to April. But uh, yeah, the essays that you see in the Almanac. These are of a, a similar um, standard, uh, and as we've noted in the past, it's a sort of cricket writing which a lot of people just adore because often it doesn't relate that much to cricket. It's the stuff around cricket, which is why you're probably listening to a cricket podcast with uh, um, with, with regularity. So uh, jump on wow. the, the Night Watchman or nightwatchman.net forward slash buy. Uh, jump on there today. Support them. Support independent cricket writing. Support the final word. Uh, Jeff, should we get on with the show? It is the final word. Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins, or what Adam likes to call the potpourri segment. <laughs> um, he's a he's a refined gentleman, and he likes his house to smell nice. The the bits and pieces that we uh, didn't get to earlier in the show, and perhaps should have, and perhaps shouldn't have. However, uh, the Sheffield Shield is back and happening, which always seems a bit odd at this time of the Australian summer when, you know, the AFLW is starting up and the um, the, the the days are starting to turn a bit cooler and, and suddenly you, you realise the Shield will be going on until the end of March, at which point players get pulled out of the final and sent over to South Africa as emergency cover after national scandals. So we had an eventful round. We had three results. Uh, all, all three matches had results. The Victorians, who've not been very good this year, knocked off New South Wales, who have been. And the big news out of it was many runs, many, many runs for Nick Maddinson, made 95 in the first innings, came out and walloped 105 off 90 balls in the second, and the Victorians won comfortably, and Nick Maddinson's got himself in the Australia race squad again. Yeah, isn't this turning into a, a, a really fascinating uh, tale of, of the last couple of summers? Of course, Nick Maddinson was 
um, let go by New South Wales, couldn't find another state, uh, went to Victoria without a contract, ended up in the Shield side 12 months ago for the back end of the year, uh, made 300s in that campaign at the tail end, kind of from nowhere really. Broke his arm. Broke his arm in the process. Uh, didn't feature in, in winter calculations, but has bounced back this season. Was picked for Australia A way back in, gosh, may have it been November, November? or something like that. Um, pulled out of that uh, when he decided to have a, a, a break for mental health reasons. And he was well supported in, in, in that decision at the time. Uh, didn't have a particularly good B- BBL season, to say the least. Back to red ball cricket and, and plunders uh, 95, uh, then 105, uh, including, as you say, 105 off 90 balls in, in the second dig. So went ever so close to registering twin tons uh, to start this, this, uh, you know, this, this stretch of shield games. Back in the Australia A squad. And look, I mean, there's no available spot in the test side, let's be clear. But this bloke has made six tons and average 83 since moving to Victoria. Um, he can't be far away. He's 28 years of age. He was on the fast track to a baggy green all the way back in 2013. Eventually got one in 2016, probably at the wrong time, which he said himself. Uh, now, with the benefit of reflection, um, he, he wasn't picked at a time that, that things were firing on all cylinders for him personally. He took some time away from the game at that stage as well but for all that's gone before, uh, he now seems to be making runs with a sort of regularity that you think that even though it may not come straight away, he, he might be just about in sort of next cab off the rank territory. He was teaming up with Will Parker as well, a young spinner who made an unexpected debut in the side. Yeah, this is interesting, isn't it? So Will Parker's 17, so the second time a a 17-year-old has debuted for Victoria this year. Also plays Australian rules football, and the reports are that he's going to get drafted uh, next year. And he's been picked for Victoria. He's a spinner. He's taken four wickets in the game. Apparently, a very impressive performance. Of course, I was um, not watching the Shield this round, funnily enough. But uh, all reports were uh, that he's very good. Um, he's such a uh, he, he was so from such a left field t- decision to pick him that Crick Info don't even have his date of birth on their website, which kind of shows that <laughs> he was a decent <laughs> way away from the map and. Here he is. And I don't know um, where this story Adam. will run either, but it is interesting, I think, that um, given he's got one more year in, in the uh, in the underage football system that he's got himself this Shield game, presumably we'll get a couple more before the end of the year, and that might be enough to persuade him to, to, to stick with cricket and make that his profession rather than, than the AFL. I think we're going to see more of this over the years when, when the two major sporting codes are vying for talent. So I've just started in the last couple of weeks, um, just just a little late on things. I've just started watching The Wire, the, the TV series, about 10 years after it yes. ended maybe. And which miraculously, I still don't know what happens in it. No one's spoiled it yet, so don't send me anything because um, I've only watched about four or five stop episodes. Stop watching at the, the end of season, season four. The end of season four, just stop there. No, That's all I'm going to say. But um, <laughs> so I, don't need to, I don't need to hear it. I don't need to hear it. Anyway, it, you're just reminding me of the, the early scenes where they're, they're trying to figure out um, who... Avon Barksdale is and you've got McNulty with the board up there and he's like, we got nothing. We don't even have a photo. We don't even have a DOB. And now this is Will Parker. There's no photo. There's no DOB. Um, Someone's in the whiteboard at Crick Info saying, you know, find out something on this Parker kid. Yeah, I I want someone to make an Avon Barksdale, Will Parker uh, mashup. uh, will, Will be greatly appreciated if someone can take the time to make that during the week. Maybe that can be his nickname going forward, Avon. Will Parksdale. <laughs> Will Parksdale. <laughs> Very nice. Um, yeah, so that so that happened for the Vicks. I'm swinging Dan Worrell uh, just just 
got got the big ones flying around. Of course, the the, the artist formerly known as Dan Worrell uh, took a five for in the fourth innings to beat WA and hooped it everywhere. Apparently, I feel a bit sorry for Dan Worrell. Uh, he falls into the same category as Trent Copeland, who continues to do what he does and, and, and Chad Sayers although Chad might be just a little bit on the other side of this now now that Australia have played in England uh, I just don't see a scenario where Worrell at the pace that he bowls at and this is bullshit by the way but just the way that as in bullshit and a bullshit argument that we've seen with Werner Philander and, and others that um, bowling at sort of high 120s shouldn't preclude you from uh, national selection but it just feels as though Worrell might be the wrong side of of of, uh, of the speed radar and might not really ever get the chance to press for national selection again. Of course, he played a couple of one days mm. about four years ago, but um, but yes, yeah, so I'm glad he's still taking wickets. But it, it could be a, a tough little period of his career, knowing that we're, we're so far away from England in in the Test cycle. And another man who you're desperate, desperate to see in a baggy green, Michael Nisa, hashtag Nisa must play, was man of the match for Queensland. Uh, he bowled Tassie out for 78 on day one, not entirely on his own, but took four for, um, and and was the, the catalyst, and they ended up beating Tassie by 10 wickets off the back of that. Kind of so nothing, kind of nothing he, more sure than him playing in Bangladesh is there. I mean... Why, why and then being discarded on the back of well, you know well, struggling on no, a, on no, a yeah, maybe, grotesque maybe so. Road. Although we've seen in the past that Shield level is very good on those tracks. I think that um, Nisa playing and them leaving uh, a slew of bigger quicks who I can't see a reason why they wouldn't be clever about that and and give Nisa a chance mm. to shine on on that. So I'm I'm sure they'll they'll take a you know they'll take Cummins anyway and, and so forth unless he's injured you know when we get to that stage of the year. But Cummins of course led the attack in in Bangladesh in 2017 and I think from memory Josh Hazelwood got injured there. So uh, but yes it feels like Nisa has done everything right at every step of the way with the red ball and he continues on that pattern. So the Australia A game, that's where Maddinson's got in. They're playing a four-day match against the England Lions. So this, this is quite cute, really. A four-day day-night game at the MCG. They're just having a random Australia A match, not with any tests or anything around, against a touring development English side at the G in February. Seems um, It's unusual. It doesn't, doesn't generally happen, but it'll, it'll be a spectacle. Yeah, it's quirky, isn't it? Uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, as I said, I think two weeks ago, I really want Jeff, I really need you to go down and write something about it. It's just ticking every box for me. Oh, I'm going. I'm, I'm doing a round the grounds for the ABC at this game, so I'll be, I'll be doing the... Um, Excellent. I'll Excellent. be getting yes. thrown to by the grandstand studio oh, to say, well, you know, thanks, Karen. The score at uh, the MCG is uh, it's two for 78. With- uh, yeah, to Ian Mackay at Princess Park and to the, and to the galloping Gasson at Waverley yeah, and, to, and to Jeff Lemon yeah. at the MCG. Uh, yeah, no, I'm glad that's the, the case. The people want to know. Uh, they want to know what's happening in this game. Well, how many is Usman made? Well, how many is Marcus <laughs> Harris made? I want to know. Well, they're not going to find out who, how three of them have gone because uh, Pato, uh, friend of the final word, uh, has got a sore back and sore hips and of course, as Shakira taught us all those years ago, hips don't lie. Uh, Will Pekowski mm-hmm. um, didn't come up from that head knock. Uh, in fact, he's been ruled out of the next Sheffield Shield game as well, which... I don't know. What can you say? Um, it's, well, it's getting, I think you, the, the fact that his prognosis was that originally after the, the head knock in, in a couple of weeks ago in the Gold Coast, which we talked about on the final word, then that he'd be fine for this game, and now he's out of this game and out of the next game as well for Victoria. Mm. So his season is going to be truncated. Who knows whether he'll play again in in the nineteen twenty summer? Let's hope he does get another chance for Victoria. 
and also Marcus Stoinis. And again, you know, Stoinis at the back of the big bash season, having been player of the tournament, let's remember, he was fantastic for WA in the first half of the Shield season with both ball and bat. He, he, even though he's off Broadway and a bit out of fashion right now, not in the white ball squads or any of that, it doesn't feel like he's kind of far away from his best form. And uh, had he had the chance to perform for Australia A, that, that certainly would have helped his case. Um, when you consider that Australia are going to Bangladesh and normally you'd want a seeming all-rounder at your disposal in those conditions. But, um, mm. yes, he, he won't be playing uh, due to a sore shoulder. Instead, it'll be Jack Wildermuth, who, of course, played a T20 international in Harare a couple of years ago. I'll always remember it because it was two degrees when the game started at 9am on a Friday morning, the coldest I've ever experienced cricket. Uh, and Jack had a, a ball come down to him at third man in the first over. It nearly broke his bloody finger. He didn't take the catch, nor could anyone block blame him but he did back up well and, and bowl very nicely when he, when he got the opportunity he's a lovely young man so I'm glad that Jack's getting that chance and, and uh, Mark Steckity who um, has been you know he was sort of part of these squads a couple of years ago Jeff I reckon you and I watched him mm. play in the PM's 11 about five years ago but he gets his chance and as we already said Nick Maddinson was called up uh, as the replacement for Wilpikowski so Maddinson uh, a well timed recall to Australian colours albeit the Australia A variety yeah, and and as for the rest, it's kind of the expendables. Um, you know, the the veterans are all getting a run: Moses, Enriquez, Harris, Kawaja, and and so on. Uh, so you know, we'll we'll have some updates from that game next week. Uh, South Africa, the T Twenty series. You're calling it the 2005 Ashes of T Twenty series. Yeah, I, I think that might have been Peter Miller or or, uh, or Freddie Wilder, one of the other uh, close T Twenty watchers from the UK. But gee whiz, what what a series! I was uh, I was um, covering the first match of it. Uh, I think that was the night that Rach went into labour. Indeed it was. She, um, we, we, uh, I, I got one last OBO in for the Guardian. Um, oh God. It's truly what happened. She, <laughs> and about two and hours, then, you, then your OBO was obstetrician by obstetrician. Yeah, well, as it happened, I was, I was, I was linked, uh, I was linked, I was inked in to do the OBO on the 14th as well, the night that, or the, the morning rather that Winnie was born. So I, 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 I dropped a line to our dear colleague, Tim Delisle, who is another one of the OBO family and said, mate, um, I've had a baby or rather that my partner's had a baby. Um, I can't. I can't work this afternoon. Can you do it? And he, he kindly stepped in for me, and he, he gave her a very lovely mention on the Guardian website. Eleven hours after she was born, so a good way to start there. Uh, but um, that was the second game of uh, the series. Uh, the first one uh, it was crazy. I mean, it wasn't the highest scoring, um, but the volatility, the shifts in momentum, the death bowling, uh, Lungi and Gidi, absolutely. Brilliant! I've never seen better death bowling than Ngidi to win that match for South Africa. When Morgan hit three sixes in a row in the penultimate over and looks like he had England over the line, Ngidi um, wouldn't say, wouldn't accept no for an answer. So he got them over the line on, on the final ball. Uh, and then the second game was resolved with Tom Curran taking two wickets in the final two balls of the game, defending two runs to square the ledger, a game where they made 200 apiece or, or thereabouts, maybe 220 apiece. Uh, Mo and Ali uh, played one of the most Maxwellian shots you'll ever see. Um, a, a straight drive over Gully for six with a with a with a, a lovely flourish uh, of his wrists, I suppose you'd call it. And then the third, I, uh, I did see that one. Yeah, my, my my Maxwell alerts went off. Yeah, they should. It was very Maxwell. I'm glad to see Moeen back in good touch. And the third and, and final and deciding game, England were were all but gone. Then, well, not all but gone. They were in the chase, but a long way behind. And Owen Morgan hits was it 59 in 21 balls. Or 
something ridiculous. So uh, hitting a, a number of sixes along the way. So anyone that said that Owen Morgan should put the cue in the rack at, at, at the end of the World Cup last year were wrong, really. Uh, he's still a superb white ball cricketer. So uh, they got over the line with, I think, four balls to spare in the decider. So England win 2-1. But if that's the sort of cricket, Jeff, that we're going to get in a World T20 year for the men, which, of course, uh, will be taking place in October later this year, um, it's going to be a hell of a tournament. Uh, it, it, it wet the appetite perfectly. Other South Africa news, Faf Duplessis, uh, a.k.a. I was saying Faf Duplessis, has decided to step down as South Africa's captain. He's still playing. He's still available in all formats. He's still in the squad um, for the their matches coming up against Australia. And he might even be opening the batting. I think Temba Bavuma's missing for a little bit um, and with a hamstring. And so Faf might be up the order. But he, he's still there, but he's... Th- basically decided, I think having seen Quinta de Kock handle things well uh, as a temporary captain, that it's it's time for him to give it up. He's tired. He's, um, he's, he's had a pretty tough time in the job. They've had a few highs, but uh, particularly the last couple of years have been pretty difficult for Faf. It will be interesting to see how long he stays as a member of the ranks. It often doesn't work well, a long-standing former captain stepping back and uh, just play. It can be a a big presence for for a new captain and de Kock, as you say has started really well as the white ball skipper so uh, of course that that Philip is, is is there the World T20 in October can Duplessis get there he wanted to lead South Africa uh, to that tournament uh, but he won't be doing that so he's still available to play the couple of test matches they have left in 2020 as well uh, so yeah that, that'll be interesting to see him, him, him lining up uh, when they start that series on Friday the first of three T20s and then three one days after that Jeff I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about Faf Duplessis when his career actually ends what we're going to hear a lot of in the short term uh, is, uh, is sandpaper and, and all the rest of it um, you might sell a couple of books Jeff <laughs> that would be a, 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 an unintended <laughs> positive consequence of uh, Australia and specifically uh, David Warner and, and Stephen Smith returning to uh, the scene of the crime, so to speak, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and and that was the series where I thought the kind of first person Faf Duplessis was. Um, he impressed that upon us with I think the way that he handled things after that was was excellent. It was a, a series where they were they were really angry with the Australian team and they desperately wanted to beat them and they were very satisfied they did. But but there was no lording it over Australia after mm. Australia was humbled. There was you know the, a, a lot of graciousness was shown and I, I think Faf is someone who's uh, who should be respected for the kind of leadership that he's shown. It's it's exactly the right kind. Um, you know doesn't doesn't give much. Pretty staunch, but also you know very very giving once the the contest is over and, and that's the sort of captain he should be remembered as. Yeah, nicely said. Uh, and Jeff, before we round it off, we've seen a whole bunch of speculation in the last couple of days about the next ICC scheduling window. So this is to do with major mm. ICC tournaments. Um, we're not going to talk about that uh, in detail today because it's quite a uh, weighty topic and it does have uh, a lot of knock-on effects. Uh, Dan Bredig, uh, our colleague and close friend from Cricket Info, has been writing about that during the week. So we might get Dan to come back and talk to us on the final word either next week or, mm-hmm. or the week after. But it looks like we're heading towards having what going to be called Champions Cups in 2020 and one-day cricket um, <laughs> over the next eight years starting in 2023. So sort of make of that what you will. I- I'll just add that, um, you know, 
why are we starting a new tournament which is restrictive when we could just have more World Cups? Andy Zaltzman, our mate from uh, BBC Test Match Special, has been um, arguing this. Uh, why don't we just have World Cups every two years? I mean, it works pretty well, doesn't it? Is the Women's World T20 starting um, this week any less of a tournament because they played one in 2018 in the Caribbean? I, I would say no. And why do we need to rigidly stick to the four-year cycle uh, for, for Men's World mm. Cups specifically, as it is at the moment, in both white ball formats? Um, because, what, the Olympics do it and football do it and rugby do it? Well, yeah, and, and I guess historically that was the case with the 50-over World Cup. But is there not a, a, an easier solution than, than, than can having a new sort of trophy, um, which I guess replaces the old champions trophy in some respects? Is one way of interpreting it. Well, that's all it does. It, it, all, all it does is create a champions trophy for T20 cricket as well, and then they call it something else. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it also allows them to then have that as a closed tournament with only the top nations competing so that the whole thing about the T20 World Cup is that more countries get to play but then you get to play the T20 Champions Cup where they don't get to play but we'll go, right. I think we can get in get into the details yeah, there, of that there, there, um, there is a lot. Week, there's perhaps. a lot to and look maybe as someone else pointed out this could be a placeholder for the Olympics and look that, 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 that could be a positive thing into the future as well although um, we haven't seen a lot of forward momentum on the, the discussion around the Olympics and that has its own complications uh, that, that, that uh, relate specifically to how you account for the West Indies. But anyway, look, um, mm. we will go into that in, in greater depth, but it's a, a bit of a watch this space because it sounds as though uh, we're getting towards the decision-making time from the ICC on that. And I reckon, Jeff... Well, also that the BCCI are not very happy about it and will be um, yes. strenuously <laughs> objecting to a fair bit of it. So, yeah, there's a fair bit. Jeff, I think we've, um, we've, we've got through our, our, our program once again. Miraculously, um, no one was injured in the making of this show. Um, we are going to let Adam get back to, to bonding with his new tiny family. You, you've had a lot of correspondence from people during the week. I had oh, a look yeah. at your threads on the internet and I'm like, my God, the number of replies. I, I hope you didn't take it personally that I haven't replied because I feel like I, you, you can... We've spoken um, real life. <laughs> You can understand that my congratulations are conveyed yes. <laughs> to you, uh, even if I'm not on the thread. Well, there's a couple of things to say here. One is that, yes, overwhelming, overwhelming uh, the amount of correspondence from Final Word listeners uh, on social media and, um, and other uh, forms over the last four days or whatever it's been. Uh, it's been really lovely. So thank you so much for the well wishes. And I'm uh, sorry for not replying to almost any of them yet. I'm, I'm going to sit down. Jeff, as you know, I, I like to reply to everything. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I know. I'll, That's the other thing I was thinking when I looked at the thread yeah. but because I, I, I read down, it was like everyone I'd ever met was on there congratulating you and I was like, fuck me. How are you going to possibly to reply try. to every I'm, I'm message? I'm going to sit you down can. with my computer and give myself a little oh. window uh, when, when Winnie's sleeping at some stage over the next few days and try and reply because um, it is a nice thing to try and do when people are kind to you Just and people have been very kind. So thank you um, for all the messages and all the well wishes before the birth, after the birth, all the um, uh, all the other back and forth uh, around the pregnancy over the last nine months as well. It's been a lovely way to, to see in a, a new era of my life and it's been really nice talking about it with you today as well, Jeff. And uh, as we sign off, we thank um, Bad Producer Productions Jay Mueller who has uh, made this show possible week to week alongside DC and Astrid and his team. Uh, a fantastic array of shows on Bad Producer Productions on their website uh, including uh, my other podcast The Greatest Season There Was. We just finished our fourth season which was about 
the Australia A summer of 1994-95. Of course, a lot of people would have grown up loving that summer of cricket. So um, if you're into uh, other cricket podcasts, I can certainly advise that one on the Bad Producer Productions mm. website. Uh, there's also... So many, so many podcasts. You, you, you're the line in the song. How many podcasts <laughs> must a man make with G before he is tired of making podcasts? We'll, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, and, and thanks uh, to our patrons. Uh, we, we talked a lot about mm. them earlier today, but as we said, we're going to be doing a lot of Women's World Cup content. If you didn't hear the short episode um, that we put out yesterday, um, if you are a patron of ours during the Women's World Cup, you will see plenty of Jeff at grounds and plenty of me on the sofa with the baby. Um, we're going to try and do that. We haven't done <laughs> that these. That's vaguely threatening. We, we've always done these sort of more official looking videos, you and I, Jeff, with nice cameras and nice microphones. Yeah. We're going to try a, a slightly more rustic approach and, and see whether it, it works. And if it does, yeah. uh, you'll find that all on Patreon. So patreon.com forward slash your final word. Uh, get your nerd pledges in there and, and be part of that over the next two and a half weeks. Yeah, it's going to be much more rustic. I'm actually thinking of doing woodblock prints of myself at the grounds <laughs> um, and, and then I'll just write captions on them um, and I'll post those to you. It'll do, so, it'll do yeah, the it'll job. It'll be, be a bit of handling. It'll but. do the job nicely. Uh, cbysuper.com.au, our friends and partners, Wisdom Cricket Monthly and the Night Watchman. As we said before, you can jump on nightwatchman.net and get yourself a healthy discount there with TFW20 or TFW2020. It's all going to be in the show notes. And last but not least, Jeff, um, thanks to you. It's it's been fun as always. Uh, this is one of the the best uh, hours of my week, and I can't wait to do it all again <laughs> next week when we can talk a lot more about the Women's World Cup, uh, and we have a really, really, really fun uh, episode. Uh, that we've been working on. So um, be ready for that. Yes, so many 20s, TFW 20, 2020s, 420s, 4 and 20s, uh, after a 420. I never thought of that. I never thought thought of the 4 and 20 pie, 420, 420. I'll never think of it Mm. the same again. There you go. Um, That's exactly how you think of things. Um, It's it's the name of a song by The Herd, which is the band that Earthboy was in, Earthboy who wrote our title song, 2020. Looking back, 2020, mistakes I made plenty but the truth is that i probably do it again uh it's a jam look it up on youtube 2020 the herd uh let's get to earth boy to take us out from the show today and save us from ourselves this is his song stories we've been the final word jeff lennon adam collins till next time bye so you know what i meant i had to go about it write it out